The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? Had I not ever been given that little piece of luck to land in Santa Monica, my life may not ever, ever took it on a different direction. But there, I saw something different. I was given the resources and support to heal. And I was able to pick up my bed and walk. And with that, I decided I could help other women. I could recreate what I found in Santa Monica, in South LA, and help other women to recover from mass incarceration, drug addiction, hopelessness, and despair. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with A New Way of Life's founder. This week's episode is really near and dear to my heart. As many of you guys know, um, I'm a twice convicted felon who has seen firsthand the horrors of what going to jail does to someone. And I think that Susan's story is one that is so remarkable because it really shows you the power and transformation of recovery, but also how you can turn your deep pain, in Susan's case, the pain of losing her child, her five-year-old son, into purpose. I hope that you guys walk away from this week's episode feeling inspired and also encouraged to go and learn more about the prison industrial complex, to learn about these matters and why they're so important. I would also encourage you to visit Susan's website, anewwayoflife.org, so you can learn even more about this incredible organization and what you can do to help these women if you're interested. I know that I've said this on Instagram, but I'm going to say it here. I've decided to take 10% of all of the profits of my merch and donate it to a new way of life. And every single little bit counts, whether it is offering your time or financially supporting this cause. Let's get active and get involved and use our resources to do good in this world. So I left this episode feeling inspired and encouraged, and I hope that you guys do too. If you're interested in more conversations like this, then you can go back a a few months ago to um, Jessica Kent's episode where she talks about her experience um, of giving birth in prison and trying to get back on her feet to regain custody of her daughter after she got out. It's also a very inspiring episode. So with that, I hope you guys have an incredible week. I love you so much. And here's this week's episode with Susan. I want to talk about a new way of life. Um, You guys provide housing, case management, legal and legal services for women who are coming out of prison, which is something that is near and dear to my heart. Susan, would you mind giving the audience a little bit of background about your story and how A New Way of Life began? Yes. Uh, So, you know, I had a difficult life. You know, I was born into just this world of hardship and trauma coupled with poverty. But I sort of learned to navigate that and I learned to dodge different trauma or trade it off for one that was less harmful than the other. 
uh, and up until um, I lost my son, I was pretty much able to um, get get by and get through uh, in regards to the things that were being done to me. So my son was killed um, by a, a LAPD detective. Uh, he was five years old. His name was KK. And at that point, I just could not hold any more pain and grief. It was the first time I'd ever actually dealt with grief. And it just wiped me away. And I began to drink and I drank alcoholically. I drank to drown the pain, the grief, the despair and the loss that escalated to drug use. It was during the time, it was in the 80s where all of this mysterious drug just came into the community and I consumed it, still trying to drown my grief. And when I was caught with it, I was imprisoned. And uh, I pled to the court for help. I wasn't given help through the courts. I was shackled, chained, and sent off to prison. And uh, that happened over and over and over again uh, until uh, I found help in Santa Monica. And what I noticed in Santa Monica is that people were treated differently for drug use, for the things that I had been criminalized for. People were given treatment. They were given court cards. They were sent to rehabilitate. They weren't criminalized. They weren't chained. They weren't weren't enslaved because incarceration, while you're incarcerated, you're literally given these jobs to do that as a form of the punishment, but according to the 13th Amendment, it's slavery. And so I was enslaved and punished for what I should have received help for. I should have been able to access victim services before the addiction ever took off. I should have been able to uh, have the types of services that I'm sure the policemen got. I just should not have been treated and criminalized and um, further traumatized by accessing a way to cope with the tragic loss of my son. Just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean that addiction just goes away. In fact, what we're seeing in our industry is that it's actually getting worse. That's where Aloe House Recovery Centers comes in. As many of you guys know, my husband and I are co-owners of Aloe House. And I'm going to tell you guys why Aloe is so important. When you think of addiction treatment, what comes to mind? Is it that it's a controlling, punishing, and punitive experience? That's what makes Aloe so special. We use a compassionate care model. Let me tell you what that is. It is based on our core philosophy that there is actually nothing wrong with addicted people, that they aren't broken or defective. We operate from a belief that we can transmute our personal pain and trauma into something so purposeful and into gifts that we're able to offer the world, that through our experience, we can help others and make the world a better place, one with less suffering. At Aloe House, our goal is to empower our clients to help them come into touch with who they really are and to know their inherent value. So many people have gone through Aloe House and gone on to become healers themselves, whether it's working in treatment, becoming therapists, and even opening their own sober living houses. Seeking addiction treatment doesn't have to be a shameful experience and treatment doesn't have to be dull. Aloe House has incredible food. We offer horseback riding, yoga, meditation, surfing, and hiking. And we really, really focus on a sense of community. That belonging is key. The feeling of connection is where 
where healing begins to occur. Aloe House has locations in Malibu, West LA, and Silver Lake. We are very insurance friendly as well. Please visit our website at aloerecovery.com to learn more. And please don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call to talk to one of our friendly and knowledgeable admission staff for a free assessment to find out if this is the right fit for you. As many of you guys know, I am in my DMs all the time. I can't tell you how many people have reached out and I've been able to successfully place them, whether it's with aloe or at another treatment center. I am always here for you guys. Why wait another day with everything that's going on in the world? This is the absolute perfect time to heed the call, take the leap and become who you were meant to be. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all, but then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. Yeah. And I mean, your son should have never been taken from you in the first place. And no. that, that's this, that the hard thing that I think people, when I think still in 2020, that you're saying this is in the eighties and in 2020 still people think that addiction is a problem of morality. They don't see it as trauma and especially in, in black and Brown communities, the amount of trauma that's been inflicted on these communities leads to the disproportionate amount of people in prison today. It's interesting that I was doing research before I talked to you, I was seeing all of these headlines that the race gap is narrowing quickly from 2007 to 2017, but there was no taking into account the population size of different ethnicities. And so finally, I found an amazing um, article from the Pew Research Center. Um, the current statistics are that one in a hundred people in the U.S. are in jail, which is absurd. And I can't wait to talk to you more um, in a second about why we should be funding rehabilitation over incarceration. And it's true that the race gap is narrowing. In 2007, 592,000 African Americans were incarcerated, 499,000 Caucasians, and 330,000 identifying as Hispanic or other. Um, And in 2017, there was only a difference about 39,000 people. However, in 2017, African-Americans only represented 12% of the U.S. population, but over 33% of people sentenced to prison. That was like... Yeah. I mean, I knew it, but it's like when you actually look at it in in those numbers... It is astonishing. So my question as a woman who lived this experience, how does mass incarceration affect um, minority communities? Mass incarceration has devastated Black communities. It has been, had a devastating effect on Black communities. Um, And I want to bring in the perspective of Black women. So the the criminal justice system, the the incarceration of women has risen 800% over the last 20 years. Women, women are the fastest growing segment of the criminal justice system. And 1.9 million women are released from prison every year. And, and they're released with nothing. Their children and families have been separated. And uh, they come back to a community struggling to get their lives back together, uh, get their lives on track to reunite and bring their families back together. And there's nothing there 
that has been put in place to support and help them to do that. That's one of the reasons I started a New Way of Life reentry project. We look at, say, for instance, a woman who has uh, stolen something in a store that's arrested, uh, a poor woman. Uh, Maybe the crime was a crime of survival and she is incarcerated for uh, 70 and we spend 70,000 a year to incarcerate her. We put her child in a foster care system and we spend money on that foster care system and say she's gone for two years. We've spent 140,000 on her incarceration and about 100 and 20,000 a year for that child to be in the foster care system. And we wrapped over a half a million dollars over a a crime of poverty instead of connecting that woman to the types of services, training, uh, support that she might need to become a better person, to become a person that doesn't have to resort to stealing to get by. And I just think that what we do is really, really, really backwards in this country. And we send her back with no supports after incarcerating her at such a huge price. I mean, we could have sent her to Harvard or Yale or a trade school and brought her all the equipment to start a business of her interest. We could have did so many other things that would have been constructive to the development of her life and her family instead of destructive to her child and the community in which she comes from. So I've watched this over and over again, and it behooves me. We're supposed to have smart people who are supposed to be running this country, and they can't figure that out. I mean, I'll take myself. I served six prison sentences. I was sentenced to prison six times and returned to the community worse shape than when I was arrested. Each time I was a little worse off and a little worse off and a little worse off. And I'm a hurting, grieving mom. And I mean, couldn't we have done something better? We could have. Perhaps had I not been black and had I not been poor, maybe somebody would have gave me a hand up. But instead, I literally got a foot put on my neck. And the hopes and dreams that I had are the potential that I possessed. I put it on potential because my life really never allowed me to dream. It allowed me just to get by. But the potential that I had in me could not breathe. Just as George Floyd could not breathe with the knee in his neck. Had I not ever been given that little piece of luck to land in Santa Monica, my life may not have ever, ever took it on a different direction. But there, I saw something different. I was given the resources and support to heal, and I was able to pick up my bed and walk. And with that, I decided I could help other women. I could recreate what I found in Santa Monica, in South LA, and help other women to recover from mass incarceration, drug addiction, hopelessness, and despair. 
quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Cured Nutrition. Cured is a leader in CBD supplementation with an entire line of products designed to take your everyday life to its ultimate potential. Their daily staples have been formulated with an in-house clinical herbalist, which has taken the traditional CBD regimen to an entirely new level of optimization. If you love your coffee, then you might also love the idea of finding a healthy alternative to jumpstart your morning. Personally, that's why I start my day with Cured's Rise Formula, which is their focus supplement. It is a powerhouse blend of functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps, broad spectrum CBD, and powerful adaptogens. It gives me clear, clean, and sustained energy without any of the caffeine jitters or crash. After I get going, Aura is next. It's another blend of functional mushrooms, CBD, and adaptogens, but with a twist. We all know how important immunity is right now, and this covers all of my bases. The vitamin D, prebiotics, and crucial antioxidants are delivered straight to the gut, which is the foundation for emotional and physical health. It's our second brain after all, right? It's where the majority of our serotonin production and immune function begins. That's why Aura is so important. Aura keeps everything in check and performing at its best. So I have one less thing that I have to worry about. Now, I obviously cannot forget Zen. I can't go a single night without it, which is certainly why it's become Cured's number one best-selling relaxation and sleep product. You know, the long nights spent tossing and turning? Yeah not with Zen. It has ingredients like reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, magnesium, passion flower, and broad spectrum CBD. So restlessness is thankfully something of the past. Cured Nutrition products are your answer for your daily dose of health. Visit curednutrition.com. That's cured, C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com. And be sure to use coupon code Alexis at checkout to save 15% off your order. That's curednutrition.com and use the coupon code Alexis at checkout for 15% off your order. I talk often about how my experience, the privilege of, of my skin and my sentencing. With my sentence, my initial sentence was I took a plea deal for first degree burglary and I went to the Linwood Correctional Facility on a six-month sentence where I spent, I don't even know, something like 48 days or something. Got out. And at that point, I was already a full-blown heroin addict. And when I got out, no resources. And I remember getting out with all of these women and all they were given was a bus ticket. Here you go. Hopefully we won't see you back here, but chances are we will. I remember an officer looking at me saying, we'll probably see you back here in the next six months. And I was like, no, you won't. And sure enough, my addiction started right back up because I had no resources um, at that time to get better and had no idea that there was even an option to get better and went right back to the streets and using heroin. And the benefit and privileges that I had when I was rearrested were that my family could hire a good attorney for me and that that attorney um, had long-term relationships with that judge who ended up sentencing me to a year in treatment in lieu of six years. That's what I was facing prison time for violating my probation. That's not the case for most women. I remember what a wake-up call it was for me. I was so afraid to go to jail the first time. I thought there was going to be like race wars and that I would be like in danger. And what I quickly realized was that as a white woman, I was the safest person in that jail. What I witnessed in the Linwood Correctional Facility humbled me to a degree that like nothing else in my life has. The women who were in there who had been sitting there for years with their babies on the outside. God only knows where, hopefully with a grandparent, but most of the times not. They were in there fighting their cases because they couldn't afford bail. They were in there for years, innocent until proven guilty. The woman who took care of me 
I'll leave her name out for her, um, my God. For her privacy. Anonymity. For her privacy and anonymity. But I remember going in and I was kicking from heroin. And um, I was in protective custody at the time. And in protective custody of people who are dealing with really bad mental health issues. Again, do they deserve to be, should they be in prison? These women who were severely bipolar, manic, schizophrenic? No, they need mental health services. They're not getting any of that in prison. And then there were women that were in there on murder charges for something that their boyfriends or husbands or partners did. And they were fighting these cases for years. And I remember this woman who came to me as I was kicking. I hadn't left my cell. I didn't go out to shower. I hadn't been in contact with anyone. And I was iller than I've ever been in my life. And she took care of me. She took care of me. And I was so just humbled by the entire experience because it is, it's, you spoke about survival and these women are just trying to survive. They're trying to survive in a system, which America is. We're not a community. We're not even really a country right now. We're lacking humanity. We're, we're a system that is racist and brutal who doesn't care about women or children at all, or what would what's happening at our borders right now would not be happening. You know, what's happening in our homes and in our streets and in our communities would not be happening if we really gave a damn about women and children. And what I saw was, yeah, zero rehabilitation. And what are we going to do for that woman who's been in there for two and a half years fighting a case alongside of her co-defendant, who's maybe her husband or partner who actually did commit a crime, right? And she eventually gets off if she's lucky. And then she's had two and a half years of trauma, two and a half years away from her child, two and a half years of fighting every single day to survive against the guards and whoever else in that prison. What are we doing to help them and their mental health? Nothing. And so what the prison industrial complex does, especially to women of color, is it just traumatizes them. And so it's no, it makes complete sense that the recidivism rate is as high as it is. Because once you've been traumatized and you don't have coping skills and you have little to no hope for your life, of course you're going to go back to going to survival mode and doing whatever it takes to get by. And if that means using drugs or consuming alcohol or, you know, selling your body for sex, that actually makes sense because there's no other option for the vast majority of Americans. You know, the last time I left prison, the guard too said, uh, we got your bed waiting for you. And I said, no, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get it together. And what he said is the only only place you'll ever work is here in prison. And that's working as a slave. That's working under the 13th Amendment uh, servitude for crime, for committing a crime. We really need to look at that 13th Amendment and take it out of the Constitution. It's wrong. It ensures that we'll still have slavery in America. You know, I've looked at at bail um, and looked at it as the industry that uh, is a part of creating an unfair and an unjust system. Yes, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But the way the system works, you're guilty until proven innocent. And by the time for a person like me that I prove my innocence, if I get a shot at a day at trial, because when you're given uh, a court-appointed attorney, a public defender, they're usually just shuffling you through the system and telling you to plead guilty all the way. I never had a judge that 
could see uh, any way of of giving me a chat at rehabilitation. I never had a judge that would give me an OR uh, on recognizance to leave jail and stay with my children uh, until there is a trial. It was just a quick process to uh, plead me guilty and ship me off to prison. But the bail system in this country is, um, it's, it's outrageous, it's wrong. It's really, really wrong and it needs to be reformed. It needs to be dismantled just as the jails and prisons and the criminal justice system needs to be dismantled. You know, we have robbed our communities of the resources that's needed for it to be a safe and healthy place. We have over-invested in policing, in jails, and in prison, and underinvested in the potential and the, the education system, the education services, the health services, the mental health services, the victim services, arts, uh, crafts, programs for development, music. We haven't developed these things and we we have under-invested and underdeveloped these types of uh, things that, these types of services, these types of development that help people develop into healthy, healthy people. Uh, we have so went off the rail uh, with our investment into these uh, systems that don't keep us safe that don't make us safe, that is a force. And now uh, we're here in the midst of coronavirus and we have a healthcare system that's not equipped to respond to coronavirus. And then we now we have over-invested in criminal justice system and under-invested in health system. All across America, all across all across the nation, and um, you know, I just wonder who thinks about that, and when they think about it, what results do we get? You know, I think about the responsibility that I have to share in creating safety and cre- cre- and creating resources to for our community and think that we all should share in creating the safety for our community. We all should have a buy-in, a give-in to show up and do what's needed to make our communities really safe, really healthy, really vibrant, really, you know, like beautiful places because we all have a little something to put in to give. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I feel like because of my life experience and the trauma that I incurred, I feel like I'm always one to like root for the underdog. And like, I know that the person that, you know, I was voted least likely to succeed at my treatment center when I went in, I was defiant, angry, I had so much trauma that I was not even willing to deal with yet. And here I am almost a decade later. It's like, we, you're so right. We all have something to give. And that inherent, and I try to really stress this in my community, is like that inherent value is, is there just because you're breathing, just because you are, you have something to give and contribute. And you are so worthy of having a vibrant community and of having having a good life. So I want to dive into a new way of life because you talked about creating a community. And that's what I'm trying to do here with the podcast is create a community. Ours is online. That's safe and where people feel valued and cared for. And so a new way of life, you know, it's like we might not be able to dismantle the prison industry right now. 
But what you're doing is taking your experience and turning it into something incredible for other women. So when did a new way of life begin and how did it start? So a new way of life started in uh, 1998. So I got sober in 1997 and about a year after being sober, I started a new way of life reentry project. I was really on fire. What I knew is that I couldn't bring all the pain and suffering. Uh, I couldn't could erase that, but I could stop another woman from going in and out of prisons like I had done. And I couldn't bring my son back, but I could help another woman to get their child back. Uh, so it started in 1998 in my home. I'd saved a little money and had when was able to get a little house and I began to go down to the bus station, downtown Skid Row, where we get off the bus. And I began to uh, connect with my friends, the community of people who were incarcerated with me and say, would you like to come here and stay? It's drug and alcohol free and it's a safe place. And that started a new way of life. And then I realized that we needed to do so much more than just housing. That wasn't enough because of the level of discrimination people faced as a result of a criminal conviction. And I began to do some advocacy work and some community organizing. So a new way of life is a safe place for women to come to, but it's also a place to find your voice. It's a place that develops leadership of formerly incarcerated women. It's a place to help them understand what systems are in place, what those systems mean, and how to navigate those systems and have the courage to call them out when they're working in adverse ways, which is all the darn time. And so we have campaigns now. We're really working on the family separation that happens what we call it is baby snatching that has went on for 400 years. The disruption of families and literally putting your baby into systems that just are counterproductive to your, to, to your um, child's development and the culture of family. Now we have nine homes across L.A. County, and I began to train other people nationally to replicate our model, our model of holistic places for people to heal, find their voice, and to go out into their their community and lead. So we have uh, replicated in 15 states the model and in one country. So I am just, you know, really um, grateful and thankful that I found a place like Santa Monica, but there needs to be more places all over this nation. And, you know, we would think that the government would want to reduce recidivism and invest in reentry, but these systems are hard to come around and they're hard to change. So... I've taken it upon myself to develop the safe model, the safe house model. Safe stands for Sisterhood Alliance for Freedom and Equality. And um, that, so we have a safe house network that we have been um, knocking it out the park. Really, we're going to have a network of homes that are supporting one another and building community nationally and advocating for justice uh, realignment, budget realignment with what's clearly going to make our communities safe and healthy and well. I believe that we must disinvest in police and prisons and reinvest in people and communities. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting because with the death of George Floyd came this whole movement of 
looking at police funding. And I think a lot of times, I think it's really easy to go, well, if you got rid of all the polices and all of the prisons and who's going to protect us from all of the, you know, evil that's out there. And the truth is that, you know, based off of my personal experience and off of all of the, the literature that I've read when it comes to specifically decriminalizing um, across the board all drugs, that when you move away from these punitive models, and you're not going to get any argument from me that if you murder someone, um, like the police officer that killed your son, you should go to prison. There's no question about that. But the over-policing of black and brown communities leads to this intergenerational trauma and this, you know, kind of nonstop feedback loop of the same thing over and over again. And it just isn't working. One of the things that woman who came on the podcast to talk about giving birth in prison, Jessica Kent, talked about was how hard it was to get her child back, how hard it was to rebuild her life after she was a convicted felon. Everything from housing, the requirements they had of her housing, the job she got, she didn't make enough money to get her child back. Then she got two jobs. Well, who's going to take care of your child if you have to work two jobs? You know, it, it was just these nonstop kind of roadblocks that she hit. And, and luckily, she was able to get her child back. But the system shouldn't be making your life harder and harder and harder at every angle. They need to be taking these funds that they get. And the reason why they're not going to rehabilitation is because they're going to the huge lobbyists that have contracts with the prisons. And so, you know, um, can you speak on and give maybe some context to what women who say just finished getting out of a two-year prison sentence who have a seven-year-old in foster care are up against when it comes to rebuilding their life after they get out. So I want to go back a bit. Mm-hmm. Every day, well, right now I have four women who are in our homes for vehicular manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So the policemen that killed my son, ran my son over. He never got out of his car. The police department never said, uh, never acknowledged that one of their detectives had killed my son. The only reason I know his name is because his name was printed in the newspaper. And so he got a straight pass for, you know, killing my son, carelessly killing my son. It was an accident and so forth. When I got sober, I had to go back and I had to visit all of that. And I had to do the work of forgiving and letting go of the pain and grief that was attached to the need of revenge that victims often carry in order for me to carry out and go on with my life. I had to heal and part of healing was forgiving, you know, myself and a bunch of other acts that happened throughout my life. But I look at what happens to other people that have an accident and they're not police officers. They go to prison for decades and decades and decades and there's no, nothing for them when they get home. And other women, there's nothing for them to help them reunite with their child. 
nothing for them to help them rebuild their lives after a mistake, a bad decision, being in the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever it might be. So you take a woman. So I'm gonna give you two scenarios. I have one woman in my office now, she was a fellow. When she went to prison, her child was uh, a month old. She did nine months in prison. When she got out of prison, she had lost all her parental rights. She no longer, her baby had been adopted. Her baby was gone. You know, it's only been about, I think she said it's a two-year window that she needs to be able to file paperwork to have an opportunity, a maybe opportunity to get her, her child back but the child's been placed with another family and that's their baby now. She no longer has a baby. So she can't do what this other woman who has came home and she has a five-year-old child. She has to go to parenting classes. She has to do a domestic violence class. She has to do a drug treatment program. She has to do therapy. She has to do battered women's classes. Those are five classes that she has to do. And she's broke. She has no money. She has no job. She has no ID when she walks out the prison gates. She has no social security card and she has nowhere to go. And so what does she do? It is a hopeless situation for her that she's caught in after she's done her time. And it's questionable if we should have imprisoned her or we should have helped her. So, you know, the women at A New Way of Life has all the supports to be connected to everything that they need to get their children back. And they have us to advocate for them. We have a social worker. We have a therapist. We have access to all the classes that she needs. We have encouragement for her. But most of all, we have a safe place for her to belong to and to be in where community is wrapped around her, supporting her. And she can engage in the leadership development. She can engage in different classes. Everybody's on Zoom going to school now. But, you know, the woman that doesn't, it's impossible. It's impossible for her to rise up to the options or opportunities that she might have or the opportunities she don't have to rebuild uh, a life. It's daunting and it's wrong. So I know we have the prison industrial complex, but we also have a children industrial complex here that just grows and grows and grows on the back of separating families, just like the plantation grew on the separation and the selling and placement and separation of families, the control that they had and the the burden, the grief, the despair that our ancestors held with that separation. Yeah. I think that that the community aspect is so important. I think that, you know, I always talk about that the solution to trauma is community. It's finding other people who know what your pain is like and who can hold space for you as you begin your healing journey. I think that what you're doing is truly remarkable. And I think it speaks volumes to the fact that you can turn your pain into purpose. You can turn your pain into purpose. And sometimes in a world where it feels 
often overwhelming and scary and dark, we have to remember that, um, well, I would say this, A, that until we reach a space of equity, not equality, and I keep mentioning that on here because I really want to drill that in, you guys. We're looking for equity, not equality. Until we can reach that place, we're never really going to see peace, prosperity, beauty, community, a thriving society until we can really start to figure out how we stop these current systems that are in place and then start actively working on being good allies and in supporting these efforts. How can my community, those who feel called to, support you in your efforts? So um, we have a website, a newwayoflife.org. And if there is a skill set or a product or a resources that people would like to extend to us, uh, you can go to the website uh, and you can leave a message or you can hit donate now. You know, we are ever growing and needing, you know, support and community to support us. You know, shared safety. We want to be a part of a shared safety approach to communities being uh, the best that they can be, strong as they can be. So, yeah, you can go, yeah, the website, anewwayoflife.org. Well, I'm going to encourage all of my community. I know that we talk a lot about reparations and about ways that we can begin to heal collectively. And I think that the work that Susan is doing and A New Way of Life is an incredible way to begin to support. So I'm going to encourage us all after this podcast episode is done to go make a small donation, even if it's, you know, the $5 that you were going to spend on your Starbucks coffee this morning. I know that I will be making a commitment to support this amazing organization and doing what I can to support these women. Susan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it has been just so eye-opening and thank you for your vulnerability and for speaking your truth. It really means a lot. My pleasure. This week's affirmation is, I choose to reclaim my power now. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 